Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In, the podcast where we talk about what's going on in our brains instead of what's happening outside. We're your hosts, Steffi Predmore and Megan Myers. This week's episode, food. Hi. Hi. How are you this fine evening, Megan? I am doing, mm, I'm going to say okay. How about yourself? <laughs> I am doing fine too. Uh, listeners, Megan is in the middle of planning a very big event for work. So the next, we're about 10 days out now, right? Um, I don't want to think about it. Don't but want to think about it. Yep. It's, you know, you it's, want- it's a little bit longer than that. It's, it's is it? today's Tuesday. So it's about 14 days. Tomorrow will be 14 days. I guess that's, I guess that's right. So, yeah. The next couple of weeks, poor Megan's brain is just going to turn more and more to mush. So everyone... It's just like a big bowl of detail soup. (laughs) Yum! Detail soup! (laughs) I love detail soup! (laughs) So good with bread. Uh, So who knows? Who knows what may come out of her mouth these next couple episodes? Although, personally, I think that 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 is half the adventure. I feel like the real test of this will be the episode that we do after. That's probably true. Because that is really when my brain will like have melted and I'll just be like, hey, man. What's up? <laughs> I'll be like, Megan, are you, are you high? What's going on? I just can't think anymore. <laughs> my brain is just shut off. <laughs> oh, well... We are hurtling towards the holidays, which... Oh, don't remind me. I know. It's always... They sneak up on me. It's always just... They smack you in the face. Uh, But we've got a couple episodes coming up that are going to be uh, either related to the holidays or a little tangential. So our first of this series is about food, because what do we do at holidays? We eat a lot. And also every other day. Well, yeah. We also do eat a lot every single day. But we eat extra during the holidays. Uh, I can tell if it's the holiday time based on how much cheese I'm consuming. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of cheese that happens in my house at the holidays. So we thought we would talk a little bit about food. Food's a big part of both of our lives. So there, I have no doubt there will be multiple food episodes, but we thought we'd talk a little bit about sort of how we grew up eating and our relationships with food now, and a little bit about today's food culture as a bit of a a primer into, you know, where we stand with food and our relationships with food and all of those things. How's that sound, Megan? That sounds delicious. (laughs) So let's start from the very beginning, a very good place to start, and talk about how we grew up eating, because I know we both grew up in the Midwest, so there are actually probably a lot of similarities between uh, the foods that we ate growing up. Megan, you go first. Yeah, I'm assuming it's probably pretty similar, um, (laughs) depending on how much your mom cooked compared to my parents. But um, I would say it was not very full of variety. First of all, I grew up 
so I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, meat and potatoes land. Um, while we did have a garden, it didn't uh, have a whole lot in it that I remember. Oh. Aside from, we had raspberry bushes, and then I also remember we grew green beans. And so oh. is that I do where remember, your like love of raspberries kind of started? Is that where that comes that from? That is actually where my love of raspberries came from. I love that. Picking the raspberries in our garden, um, which also we had a, we had a Springer Spaniel when I was a kid, and he used to pick the little raspberries off with like his little front teeth. Oh. So he wouldn't get like stung <laughs> by the little pricker things. Oh my gosh. Very cute. So um, cute. But then uh, if my brother mowed over the raspberry bushes a few too many times. Oh no while they were dormant so the raspberry bushes became no longer oh fire uh, <laughs> um yeah i don't i only remember eating the raspberries and then green beans out of our garden but for any other vegetable it was basically carrots and then iceberg lettuce salads yes yes um with uh french dressing oh mhm and then um, f- either frozen or canned and then steamed in the microwave, corn or peas or, again, green beans. Yeah. Um, yeah. Almost never broccoli. Um, I think sometimes there would be more vegetables at Thanksgiving. Like my grandmother would insist on making rutabaga, but nobody ate it. So <laughs> I don't know why she would made it. Was it like mashed rutabaga? Like how did she prepare no, it? No, it was um, steamed. Oh. Like you would cook potatoes, but um, huh. rutabaga is not good that way. No, <laughs> no. Uh, or I can't remember what else. I'm pretty sure she served some other vegetables like that too that were just boiled to death and yeah so i've never really expanded upon my vegetable eating i did eat a lot of casseroles you grew up in the midwest of course you ate a lot of casseroles yeah a lot of cream of mushroom soup um in which i would actually pick out the little tiny mushroom pieces because (laughs) i am that person Um, that's a lot of that's some dedication i mean when you when you are a child and you are served a food that you do not like that is basically the ultimate test of your will (laughs) it's true (laughs) one of you is going down and the child is damn sure it's not going to be them (laughs) (laughs) god damn it these tiny little mushroom pieces are going down it's like i will sit here and take them out for as long as it takes. (laughs) There was also one time that we, I think we had meatloaf or something, and I had taken like a huge bite of meat, and I just had this huge piece of meat in my mouth. I'm just chewing and chewing and chewing, like for forever, for a really, really long time. And for some reason, I was not chewing it enough to swallow it. Oh, no. And... Someone was coming over to our house that night, and I was still, like, refusing to swallow this meat. (laughs) And I remember my dad, like, forcing me upstairs to, like, spit it out (laughs) in the toilet before the guy came over. I don't know why I remember that. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, 
we also ate, so I ate a lot of red meat, basically. Um, mm-hmm. I think we had chicken once a week. Um, fish, maybe like twice a month. Mm-hmm. But it was mainly red meat and mainly in the form of ground beef because ground beef was very cheap to buy in bulk. Yep. And so we had a lot of hamburger helper, mm-hmm. like three nights a week of hamburger helper. It's a um, lot of hamburger helper. It is so much hamburger helper. <laughs> <laughs> and so needless to say, I don't eat that ever anymore um we did get exposed somewhat to i guess um you know american chinese food Mm -hmm. at a youngish age and so i grew up liking that um i started out with like the poo poo platter Mm -hmm. and then you know you move your way up through to get progressively more adventurous Mm -hmm. um but other than that, there was like no cuisines, I would say, that I would be, yeah. ex- that I was exposed to. So it was really funny, I think, when I went to college and I went to a big city for college and started eating all these things. And then I would come home and my parents would be like, you're eating salmon? What? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's not like you never even served it to us to begin with. But also, yeah, now I'm an adult. So and I eat other things. Yeah, like my my taste buds did change. Yeah. Thankfully. That, um yeah. I do know people who still probably eat exactly the same as how I grew up and it's so sad to me. There's so much good food out there that I think really everyone is. needs to explore. So is your experience like pretty similar? I'm thinking My experience there's a lot of similarities. Um There's also, there are a few differences. So my, I guess the foundation for my relationship with food actually kind of started with my great grandmother. Um, She grew up in a rather affluent family in the South and she did not have to cook. She didn't have to learn how to cook until she got married in 1929, uh, right before the stock market crashed. And then suddenly she was married and the only things that she knew how to cook when she got married were angel food cake and fried chicken which i find to be a funny combination because neither of those things are like the most straightforward things to make well so the fact that those are the only two things she knew how to make when she got married is kind of funny to me Um, but she was whip smart and she just taught herself how to cook and of course this was in the days well before like the food network and youtube and all of these food magazines like she really did just have to teach herself so many things and so she and she became an excellent cook and she taught my mom how to cook she taught my mom most of what she knew and so my mom grew up um eating mama's cooking And it's kind of funny. I was having a conversation with my husband the other day about how much Mama would have loved the internet because she could have found so many. She loved learning things. She would have loved all of the cool like YouTube videos with different cooking tutorials. And she would have loved the Food Network and she would have loved the um, awesome 
different foods that are available in grocery stores now. She anytime that she would find something remotely different at the grocery store, she would always buy it and bring it home and make everyone try it so that, and I quote, they would not be ignorant fools. That was like the worst, <laughs> the worst thing to Mama was that you could possi- possibly grow up to be an ignorant fool. And part of that was trying different foods. So my mom and my uncles grew up trying some kind of different things, just even whatever was available at the grocery store, you know, in the early mid 60s. So um, my mom was an awesome cook. And so she cooked a lot. Um I, a lot of what we ate, particularly when I was really little, was influenced by our budget. We didn't really have a lot of money when I was real little. Um, My mom used to make something called hamburger surprise, and the surprise was whether or not there was hamburger in it, because (laughs) it just depended on how much money they had in the bank account that week. And... So there was a lot of things like hamburger helper and casseroles, but my mom also made a lot of that from scratch. So we very rarely had like boxed hamburger helper. It was always homemade hamburger helper. We called it Chili Mac um, growing up, but it was, it's basically homemade hamburger helper. Um, Oh, wow. I will. (laughs) There are like... 20 kinds of hamburger helper <laughs> so it's the tomato-y kind <laughs> okay there's like there's one like a goulash kind like yes. i know what you're american yes. goulash whatever yeah but there are so many others there are a lot this yes there are a lot of hamburger helpers out there um but so she would she would make like homemade versions of a lot of different things um i was like a pretty grown person before i had a frozen pizza oh wow um yeah we had a lot of frozen pizzas (laughs) (laughs) so like there was a lot of things and you know we had a lot of canned vegetables because canned vegetables were really cheap and and affordable um and so there was a lot more variety of things that my mom was able to and she was very much a couponer and she was able to you know make a very small budget go really long way um in in the kitchen and she even when we had money that she was like she would still do that but as i got older and we had a little bit more money that's when you know she we would start having a little bit more variety in terms of um you know fresher vegetables and stuff from the local farm stand and we always had lots and lots of sweet corn because you grow up in indiana and illinois you're eating lots and lots of sweet corn in the summer um we would always go and pick just pounds and pounds and pounds of strawberries every spring um, and we would freeze those and um, so there was a lot of stuff like that to try to make um, try to make what money we had go a little bit further and um, things like that but I also grew up in a small town and so there wasn't always a lot of variety in the grocery store or a lot of variety in terms of restaurants so uh, you know American Chinese was about as, you know, international cuisine yeah, <laughs> as exactly. you got growing up. Like that was about it um, for a really long time, just because there wasn't 
a lot happening and we didn't um, we didn't go on a lot of family vacations to like different places and so um, the some of the some of the southern cuisine that my mom grew up with from my great grandmother like we you know had some of that happening but not really like international cuisine outside of like Mexican food um, which again is a pretty Americanized Mexican food um, mm. So yeah, Did, I mean, it was it was probably college, just like you. It was probably college before uh, some of that like branching out started. Not that I was ever really picky. I've always eaten pretty much everything. Um, it's just more having access to it. I was really picky when I was a kid, but I do wonder if it's because I was so limited in what I had available. Could be. And so... Yeah, I do wonder if I had been exposed to a little bit more and I wouldn't have ended up so picky. I'm not picky now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I was a kid, I refused to eat quite a lot of foods. I, I've i always wondered what exactly makes a kid picky versus not picky. And I've never, I mean, I, I have no idea really. Um, because I mean, I know a lot of people who are very like they're very adventurous eaters and their kids are super picky but then like I mean my dad will eat basically anything that doesn't eat him first and my parents definitely were always good about that like try it you'll like it attitude Mm -hmm. um because I have seen some parents that are like oh honey you won't like that like how do you know they haven't tried it yet um but I've always I've always been that has always really interested me of like what makes a picky eater i think some of it so some of it actually is like um i don't know if i want to i don't know if neurological is the right word but there is um some like internal stuff that happens for some picky eaters Mm -hmm. where um some of them they do have to go to the point of like going to occupational therapy to kind of address it but a lot of the time it's like nurture where Mm -hmm. the parents don't let them branch out they don't um give them other things they will make you know kid-friendly meals alongside the grown-up meals or they Mm -hmm. will only let them get you know the macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets from the restaurant instead of letting them order whatever else (laughs) comes on the restaurant menu (laughs) i so funny story net i basically never would order off the kids menu at restaurants and even when I was little and we would go in and they'd be like oh two adults and one kids menu and I would be like I want an adult menu (laughs) be like what and I also ate a ton I was so skinny as a kid but I ate non-stop it's like I had a hollow leg and so these waiter waiters and waitresses would be like oh I'm gonna bring her this whole plate of food and she's like not gonna eat it she's like eight and so skinny I would eat that whole plate of food you'd be like whoa what just (laughs) happened (laughs) I so you you're like nine years younger than me um but I don't remember really having kids menus as Mm -hmm. much at restaurants and I don't know if it changed at all in like that time frame could be um pretty much every restaurant now it seems like has a kids menu yeah but I do because I do remember going to certain restaurants and looking at the menu and just being overwhelmed because I was a little kid and this is a yeah. huge adult menu and I was like I don't know what any of these things are 
um can I just get dessert because I know what that is (laughs) yeah where's my mac and cheese yeah and so the other thing about kids being picky is that a lot of it comes down to texture so like my kids are they're not incredibly picky like Reese loves spicy food Mm -hmm. he loves ramen he's starting to eat sushi now but he does not like tomatoes i mean my mom just a texture thing he likes yeah he likes the flavor of tomatoes he likes ketchup he likes pizza sauce he likes pasta sauce is it the like seeds the like he thinks they're no it's actually it's the texture of the flesh of a tomato really yeah yeah, so he'll, if it's bigger than a certain size, he'll pick it out of his food, which I can't blame him for. I just told you about the stupid mushrooms from right. the cream of mushroom <laughs> soup. So, like, I I can't really criticize his choice there. Right. Um, and I mean, if that's, if that's the biggest, like, no food for him, like, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, they do eat vegetables, so I get tired of eating the same yeah, vegetables over and over with them, but they do eat the vegetables step in the right direction exactly (laughs) so i know that we both just sort of said like college is probably when we started to kind of branch out a little bit in our diets and the foods that we were trying um do you have like a specific memory associated with kind of branching off from being a picky eater a self-professed picky eater to try new things or do you feel like it was kind of gradual for you well I think so in college it was a little bit different for me um for freshman year I lived in the dorm and so that's not exactly the height of uh food experiment I mean it's it's, maybe it is the height of food experiments but not the uh (laughs) kind you're really looking forward to um and I also worked in the food hall. So like, oh man, yeah, I, I was behind the scenes and it was fine. <laughs> like, it was, it was food. Um, but, uh, the summer after my freshman year, I went to Israel and I feel like that kind of was a huge expansion for me mm-hmm. Because you're in this foreign country and I didn't speak the language and I was with a group of people that I I get I had kind of met some of them before we left. It was mm-hmm. for it was for college, it was for a dig. Mm-hmm. And um so basically everybody was a stranger and I had to eat food and yeah. <laughs> it just seemed it was a weird culmination of all the things where I was like, Well, I'm just gonna eat this hummus even though I don't like beans and I'm gonna eat falafel even though I don't even really know what that is (laughs) we need baba ganoush even though I definitely don't know what that is yeah like all of these things that came together I was like oh this is actually really good and like those are some of my favorite foods now yeah um weirdly I still do not like refried beans, but I like other beans now. That's, I didn't. You live in Texas. That's so sad. I it's well, it's a texture thing, but okay. yeah, I didn't even eat beans at all until I was like twenty. Oh, so wow. yeah, um, it just wasn't a thing that was on our menu, and so 
after I came back from Israel, it, I didn't really have a chance to kind of explore things as much because I was poor, mm-hmm. because I was a college student. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, I feel like when I met my husband, and he was, I guess you would say, courting mm-hmm. <laughs> me, um, we would go out to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think that was the first time I had sushi was somewhere with him. Mm-hmm. Like I was like to other people, they'd be like, they think it's crazy that I never ate sushi until I was like 24. But for someone who grew up in Wisconsin in the right. 80s, like <laughs> there's no sushi grade tuna in no. Wisconsin in the 80s, guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that you can get good sushi in Minnesota anyway. Yeah. Um, And so I don't know if it was just the fact that, like, he was trying to impress me or the fact that, like, he is a little bit older than I am or what that really is. But so I guess I would say a lot of it really came down to, like, peer pressure. Yeah. You want to fit in a little bit, you know? Yeah. You got to You want to be like, oh yeah, I definitely, I yeah, I eat sushi all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> I yep, know exactly I, what I'm doing I right now. <laughs> totally know what I'm doing. I absolutely know what I'm eating. Yep, this is. Uh huh. I do this all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel that. <laughs> yeah, and then once we we got married and we moved to Texas, and then we were. Um, on a super strict budget because we were newlyweds yeah. <laughs> and like trying to be, be adults. Um, that's also like really when I first started diving into cooking actual meals. I had started cooking a little bit when I was a kid, basically yeah. just because I wanted to eat more than what we were eating, to sure. be honest. And so I would cut out the recipes that were in the coupon circular mm-hmm. and make those ridiculous things like uh Lipton soup uh potato wedges but then we when when we got married and we're living on our own and had to do like ooh budgeting and meal planning like that was the hardcore like I better learn how to cook because we don't got no money (laughs) right right yeah going out to eat is expensive and yeah and that's when you like realize that um you can do a lot with like spices that yeah. are different and experimentation and stuff. So I don't know. It was kind of a cool way to dive into that. And I think especially because it was before blogs really mm-hmm. um, before, I mean the food network was around, but again, we were poor, so we didn't have cable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there wasn't, I feel like there wasn't a lot of influences aside from like, I had a copy of the joy of cooking. Yeah. You just had to figure it out. Yeah. Just like my great-grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> she would have loved you, by the way. Uh, except for except for you being a Yankee, but, you know, you've lived in Texas long enough. She probably let that slide. That's true, but Texas isn't technically, like, the South, so... It's, it, it would have been it would have been touch and go, but you're smart enough and driven enough and love to read and learn things. She'd have, she'd have, she'd have loved you. All right. I'll accept that. <laughs> you know, I also, for me, uh, traveling in college was... I, I studied abroad in Spain my sophomore year, 
And that was a big introduction to a lot of different foods, um, not just uh, Spanish cuisine, but then also um, would take some weekend trips to different places and um, got to experience food in Portugal and in Ireland and in England and um, France and you know some of those different some of those different countries that I got to go explore. Um, my study abroad program we lived with host families and a lot of I ended up being really lucky. My a lot of my classmates that had were in the program with me got um, older senoras who are you know in their 60s and 70s and to be completely honest were not really that interested in getting to know the students that were living with them um, they were just like hey I get a little extra money by having the student live here and I'll feed them the bare minimum and that's that um, but I ended up in a home with um, my senora's name is Carmen. She was 40 when I was there and she had a, a 15 year old son at the time and she loves to cook and she and I hit it off immediately and she found out that I love to cook and that my mom had taught me how to cook and I love to spend time in the kitchen and I wanted to learn more about Spanish food and cooking. And so every night she would come home from work and we would cook dinner together in her little teeny tiny apartment kitchen. And we would sequester her son, Alex, out to the living room to do his homework. And um, we would snack on cheese and make dinner. And she would teach me all about Spanish food. And that's when I really learned that super, super simple ingredients can be have a huge impact. Because um, a lot of Spanish food is very simple. Um, based on just a few key ingredients. And it's just the way that you treat them and the quality of the ingredients that you buy and a little bit of, you know, salt and pepper. And really that's what you need to make it delicious. And I learned a lot of that in Carmen's kitchen and came home and shared a lot of that with my mom, who of course, you know, ate that up um, and, that was really, it really just sparked something in me to then get and start experimenting with things. You know, I had never, I think I'd had like risotto once on a restaurant menu and I was like, I think I'm going to try to make risotto and, you know, stuff like that where I was like, I've never really had this, but it sounds good and it's not too hard. I can do this and just like start experimenting um, and so then that was, you know, sort of through the end of college and then my first, you know, year on my own, just splurging on a few things here and there. I was on a very tight budget my first year out of college, particularly, you know, as a lot of post-college students are. Um, and so I didn't have a ton of money to spend, but you know, figuring out how I could take a few ingredients and do something fun with them and how I could m stretch a few ingredients and stretch a budget and then, you know, occasionally throw in, you know, some goat cheese or something like that um, as a little bit of a splurge um, is sort of where, where my, you know, 
um, how I approach food now kind of started for me. It's kind of funny, actually. Uh, risotto is one of the first things that I learned how to cook, too. I love that. I don't know if it's just because it's, like, so cheap and it actually is super, super easy. And it's um, so impressive. It is impressive. And I. it's it was, mostly you're just standing at the stove. I love it. Forever. I think it's very therapeutic. And when it I was is. when I was dating, it was my date night meal. Yeah. So like you start dating someone and then the first time they come over for dinner, that's what I would make. I would make risotto. It looks Impress them every time. It looks really fancy. You can put like literally anything in it. Right. And you can do it like you don't necessarily need a protein. Like you can do like if you like mushrooms, if you're not a Megan, you do mushrooms (laughs) or peas or whatever. Like Pretty I've cheap done zucchini. Stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Butternut squash is good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah. a lot of yeah. Now I want risotto. Oh, I love risotto. I'm gonna so have to much. make risotto tomorrow. Sweet corn. I love sweet corn risotto. Oh. So good. I want to go back a little bit um, because we talked about like what our parents made for us a little bit for mm-hmm. dinner, and I am wondering, uh, were your parents both? working like traditional jobs like nine to five were they home every night for dinner my mom stayed home okay so um my dad was working uh well when I was really little he was when I was really little he was in the army um and then he was working um a lot of weird shifts um Mm -hmm. he worked at Caterpillar in the machine shop for a number of years before he um, went back to school, got his degree. Um, And so he would work, there were years where he was working second shift. There were years where he was working, there were a lot of years where he was working third shift, but Mm -hmm. we always ate dinner together. Um, So that was, that was our, you know, even if when he was working third shift, I'd go, you know, mama would make dinner. She'd say, go get your daddy up. I'd go wake him up. And then he'd eat dinner with us. And then breakfast was his like dinner before he went to bed um, during the day. But my mom, she substitute taught once I got into school. um, But Mm -hmm. she that always was so that she could have the same schedule that I had, but she was home the rest of the time. Okay. Because I was wondering, because um, I think a lot of the time that makes a difference in like how you grow up and how you can approach food because uh so my dad worked shift work too actually he worked at a paper mill for i don't know 19 years something like that and so he did a lot of third shifts um as well and once i started school my mom went to work but she worked like a variety of different jobs she worked a lot of retail jobs um bouncing around to a few different places which meant that she also had kind of odd hours and so basically there were a few nights where if she was working evenings because sometimes she worked at a video store and so you know you have to work evenings when you work at a video store Mm -hmm. and if she was working evenings, that would be on a night where, like, my dad either had, like, first shift or had third shift because he was, he would be home before she was, or, yeah, he would be not leaving for work until after she had right. come home. Um, 
And so because they had that weird, like staggered schedule, I feel like they, you know, they didn't have like the time or the energy to really like create a meal. And that's part of the reason why we ended up having so much like processed hamburger helper and canned vegetables and stuff just because they don't have the time to like sit down and like make a meal from scratch. And I wonder how much that kind of affected um, the way that I look at food now mm-hmm. or how families who have it that way now have to deal with that situation. Or, you know, if you're living with a single parent and how they deal with that situation. Yeah, I think that t- makes a huge difference. You know, my mom did have time to have dinner basically mostly on the table by the time my dad got home from work and you know not because that's something that he was like expecting but just because that's just the type of person that she was and also mm-hmm. my dad could make toast that's about <laughs> what he could make he could make jiffy cornbread and <laughs> i love a good jiffy cornbread that's about it he's better now um he has he is better now that my mom has passed away he had to kind of learn a few things and so he has he has picked up on some things and so he does mm-hmm. he 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 can he can cook now you know he can hang in the kitchen um but it, it, it was definitely like she had that ability to spend the time to make that meal and yeah. do that grocery shopping and not have to rely on something super super quick most evenings yeah, I think especially I've noticing it a lot now too because um so right now my husband and I both work from home and I had been doing a lot of the cooking but like as my job became more and more involved like I just couldn't handle doing all the work anymore and it's mm-hmm. not that I don't want to but it's just so exhausting. Yeah, it's a lot. It's such a mental load aside from like the actual physical load like mm-hmm. you have to think about what's happening and like especially the kids are still coming home from school and as soon as they walk in the door they're like what's for dinner yeah i, <laughs> I don't know i literally <laughs> don't care it's three o'clock i don't know dinner's not for hours yes also i just wanted to add that like there's a specific subset of people who like n- know and appreciate jiffy cornbread <laughs> or like yes. the Jiffy the Jiffy <laughs> cupcake mix. Like Oh, I don't think I've ever had the Jiffy cupcake mix. I don't know if they make it anymore, to be honest, but like I think I don't even know. It must have been so cheap because like we could not even buy the Duncan Hines or like Betty Crocker cake mix. We would buy the Jiffy cake mix. Oh my gosh. I It must have been like ridiculously cheap. I do see I just had to do a Google search. I mean I do see that they have a lot of muffin mixes. Um mm-hmm. oh they do they do have cake mixes they do have cake and mix. brownie mix. They have a pie crust yeah. mix which I am real interesting. Giving some real side eye to that they, one. I'm pretty sure they also I want to say they also made a frosting mix. Oh, wow. Like, I don't even know, like, uh, what it was in it. I, I'm guessing you probably took, like, butter and mixed it with that, and that was probably. your frosting. Probably. Um, because we definitely 
I had to like make frosting, yeah. <laughs> but it was oh not gosh. from scratch, scratch. Um, yeah, it's good, good times. <laughs> I kind of, every once in a while, I forget that it, like it's still, that they still make Jiffy at all, but I saw it at the store the other day and it's still there. So because my mom's family is from Mississippi, she grew up eating Southern cornbread, which is not sweet. Right. And Jiffy cornbread is definitely sweet. So my mom pretty much always made homemade cornbread. Um, Again, see also, she had the time and it was a little bit cheaper than even buying a mix. Mm -hmm. But we do, we have occasionally had Jiffy cornbread and you know what? There's nothing wrong with it. No, it's pretty good. It makes a real good corn casserole. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Um, Love me a corn I mean, casserole. It's, it's still around for a reason with that same, I don't know when they designed that packaging, but <laughs> it is, it is still rocking. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So I know, obviously, we both have very different relationships with food now um, than we did growing up, especially you. Um, I think your relationship with food now is especially different than... Uh, when you were growing up but talk talk to us a little bit about about that um, in a little bit more detail um yeah so a lot of it has to do with having kids to be honest Mm -hmm. um when we had kids it was kind of so I'll backtrack for a minute but when you have kids it's Mm -hmm. a lot of what you do is kind of like well what do I do now but what happened like we brought him home from the hospital and like he fell asleep and we're like well what do we do now they let us come (laughs) home with this human being and we have to keep it alive we have a baby but he is asleep so what do we do (laughs) yeah it was weird um but it's kind of like that with every little step that's involved with children and we realized we had to feed them um typically Typically, that's involved. Yeah, they do graduate from milk, and they have to have real food. And so that really made me start thinking about, you know, what food there is out there. And being that I live in Austin, and there is year-round produce in Texas, Mm -hmm. we started checking out the farmer's markets. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... (laughs) Depending on where you live, you might have farmer's markets year-round. But if you go to the farmer's market for the first time in January, <laughs> you're going to have some challenges. Yes. Um, I really wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, it was a lot of greens. I had never eaten kale. I had never eaten, you know, basically any sort of leafy green that was not from a salad yeah um it was just a a lot of stuff that i was really really confused by and had no idea what to do with so i went to one of the farm stands and they had a csa which is a community supported agriculture system where it's a subscription and you get a box of vegetables every week and so i signed up for that and then Every week I would get this box of vegetables that I did not understand. I didn't know what to do with. And so it was, I kind of forced myself into a crash course of how to eat and cook 
yeah vegetables and real food um and i guess it worked (laughs) (laughs) it's a real good it's kind of like if you go to another country and you don't know the language and you just are like well i'm just gonna do this um were you just like i have this food and i have to eat it because i bought it and you know i can't deal with the guilt factor yeah uh yeah so i learned how to cook all sorts of greens and i figured out the glory that is you know rendered bacon with uh kale and collards and all that goodness and i learned how to cook cauliflower which i had always hated um because you always had it like probably steamed to death oh i don't think we even had it steamed i think it was just you know served on the midwestern veggie platter oh your your crudite platter (laughs) your crudite platter with like the giant piece of cauliflower and the no one ever ate yes well actually in our house it was dill dip but yes um (laughs) yeah so i yeah i really just kind of forced myself to learn how to cook um and from there when i was learning how to cook i discovered food blogs I, the first food blog that I ever read, fittingly, was The Homesick Texan. Nice. Um, and actually, it's really funny. Uh, Lisa Fain, who is the writer at The Homesick Texan, she's now a good friend. Um, and I love her so much. But her recipes were so great that I, it really helps me feel confident. And the second food blog that I ever read was Smitten Kitchen, which mm-hmm. is also a really great one for a beginner cook. Yeah. And I kind of just dove in from there and I was like, I'm going to have a food blog. So I took my live journal. <laughs> and wow. I, back. I decided to be like, well, I don't need a live journal, but I could have a website and just have a blog there. Um, and so the first few entries of my blog were very much like, Hey guys, like, you know, you know how live, like however your live journal was, like it was that terribleness. Um, but then eventually I realized no one wants to read that. And so I started sharing the recipes that I was making and it kind of just evolved from there to the point where I was just really like embracing all the vegetables and produce in Texas and like kind of being a dick about like seasonality. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, I'll be honest. It kind of was a prick about it. Being an asshole, um, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it kind of evolved. Like I feel now that the kids are older and I've been in it for a longer time, I have like a more well-rounded approach to things. But it's definitely so much further than I had ever thought I would end up being when it came to food. Yeah. I don't know. Become a thing. It became a thing. It's become a yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I had my I had my blog and then I joined a food blog alliance that we had in Austin and then I got a job at corporate Whole Foods Market like doing recipe stuff yeah. with them and r- writing about food and I was like, "What kind of world is this?" Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of funny that like a person who grew up eating hamburger helper 3 nights a week like was able to evolve into like a food professional yeah that's so awesome 
I was going to ask you the same question, and then I forgot what the actual original question was. <laughs> so, Steffi, what, well, you answer that now. And uh, you. <laughs> so, you know, I, um, you know, like I said, I came home from Spain and, you know, was really starting to kind of experiment with a lot of things. And, um, I luck, you know, very lucky that I have parents who, again, were very adventurous eaters. And so I could be like, let's try this. Let's try quinoa. Let's try, you know, making something with kale. Let's try X risotto, all these things. And they were like, sure, let's do it. And my dad is so not picky that pretty much anything I make, he's like, this is great. It's a keeper. Um... <laughs> Which, love you, Daddy, but not always helpful when... Even the quinoa... Even the quinoa, you'd be like, yeah, that's good. I'm I'm pretty sure my family is happy that I am past the quinoa phase. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's like, okay, cool, let's let's not do that again. But, I mean, he still (laughs) ate it with vigor, so, you know, whatever. Um, And so then I started reading food blogs as I was um, getting ready to graduate from college. I had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis two weeks before my senior year of college, and it was just a really tough year for me. And I was sort of hanging on by a thread most of my senior year, and there was something about reading food blogs that was just very like kind of an escape for me, Um, even though Mm -hmm. I was living in still living in a dorm and didn't really have access to a full kitchen and like to make a lot of these things that I was seeing. um, I was still like, oh, I'll pin that like I'll pin that recipe. Um, And I Smitten Kitchen was one of the first food blogs that I read. Um, Joy the Baker was. Um, I came across um, Bellyful, um, Amy Flanagan, who's a friend now. Um, she was one of the first food blogs that I found. So I just, and especially a lot of the baking, because I've always loved to bake. Baking has really always been my true love. And so a lot of the baking recipes really called to me. And when I graduated from college, I had a summer at home before I started my job up in Chicago. And So, and I didn't have a job in those few months. And so I, my mom was working at a quilt store. And so I would make dinner on the nights that she was working and I did a lot of baking and I was sharing a lot of the things that I was making just on my, on Facebook, like, oh yeah, I made this, whatever. You know, if I baked cookies, I would take them when I went to go hang out with a friend or whatever it was. And people were like, oh, this is great. Like, what's this recipe? Like, uh, share the recipe with us. And I love, have always loved to write. And so when I did start working and I no longer had a bunch of activities in the evening, because I always had all of the activities in college, because of course I was that kid. Um, And I no longer had all this stuff going on in the evenings. I'd come home from work and didn't really know anyone up in Chicago or all the people I knew were like people from school and they were either had jobs or were still in school and mm-hmm. I was bored. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll start a blog. Like, you know, why not? I'd like to cook and I've been experimenting in the kitchen and I like to write. And so that's you know where I started my blog. And 
living up in Chicago, again, didn't have a lot of money, but still was able to occasionally go out to some kind of cool places. Um, and, you know, got to eat at Girl and the Goat and for the first time and, you know, have things like green beans tossed with a fish sauce vinaigrette with cashews. And you're like, how is this going to be? And then you eat it and it's the most amazing thing that you've ever had. And, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, my parents would come up and we'd go out and try some of those things. Um, and then I met my husband. Um, interestingly, we met briefly in college and then reconnected um, after college, mostly because of sharing food photos on Instagram um, because I had the blog and I was sharing the stuff that I was making for the blog and he would occasionally comment on it and we kind of had this dialogue going back and forth and one thing led to another and food was really sort of the gateway to our love story. Um, at the time, he was a strength and conditioning coach and a personal trainer and when we moved back down to central Illinois, um, a few months after we got married, he ended up deciding on a whim because he had always loved to cook. And that was something that we did a lot of in our little apartment kitchen um, before we moved home. He thought, you know what? Like, I think I might try getting a job at a restaurant. Like, why not? So he did. And he, it's a restaurant he still works for. Um, it's a farm to table restaurant. And so food has gone from being something that was sort of the catalyst for our love story to um, just really what our lives revolve around. <laughs> we'll be like eating something and then we'll be discussing like how we could make it better the next time or we'll be out to eat and we'll be like picking apart the thing that we're eating and like trying to decide like what spices they used and like what method they used to make it and how we can recreate it at home. And like, we're just really annoying to eat with. Um, we'll make you really good food, but we're really annoying to eat with. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really a big piece of our home. Um, we love having people over and cooking for them and sharing food with them. And somehow when we go over to people's houses, invariably we end up being the ones cooking in other people's kitchens. Um, but it's like our, it's our splurge thing. Like we will save in other areas of our life in order to be able to go out to a nice dinner or buy a really, some really good steaks or buy some oxtails or, you know, get the fancy mushrooms or the really stinky cheese or whatever it is. Um, just because that's the thing that we love the most really that's awesome it is awesome uh -huh. but also makes us mildly annoying but again we'll give you really good food in exchange for being kind of annoying i mean i think everyone has something that they're really annoying about so <laughs> you know this is true i think so we've talked a lot about ourselves in terms of food so I think we should probably dive into a little bit about like the rest of society and maybe a bit about the way food trends are going. Yeah. We mentioned that we both have food blogs. Yes. 
Yes. And so how much of today's food trends do you think are to blame? Like, are we part of the blame for some of these insane food trends? Like the unicorn trends and the galaxy colors and the all the crazy uh yeah i feel like i feel i don't know if you know there is like a chicken and the egg situation Mm -hmm. there because like where did it really start did the food bloggers start it or did they see it somewhere and then realize it was going to be like saw it was becoming popular and so then the popularity of it fed the trend in the food blog community which then fed how popular it is like where does where does that vicious cycle begin that's true and there's also the factor of like food being more focused as like you know instagrammable yes and whether people are actually eating the food because it's good food or they're Mm. eating it or you know not necessarily eating it i suppose but showcasing it because it looks pretty yes like those ridiculous milkshakes oh i hate those milkshakes you know how i feel about those milkshakes you guys the milkshakes where they pile on like a piece of cake and a donut and like half a leg of a chicken and And like half like a pound of gummy bears it's so (laughs) bizarre to me a cheeseburger right like it's just there's no way that you can really eat it and I, I just, it feels like a lot of waste to me. And I have a hard time with that. Um, and maybe it, it's, maybe it's because I know a little bit about like the restaurant world. And I know that just by the nature of restaurants, there's already waste, even when they are t- consciously trying not to. And so then I just see all of these things that there's no way people can like be eating all of that. You know, a lot of it's getting thrown away and it's just like, oh man, I I don't know. It makes me cringe. It makes me cringe because not because I've been on the inside of the restaurant industry, but because like having grown up without a lot of money and like being the family that has had to leave a cart full of groceries at the grocery store because we had too many bounced checks, like, and then shopping at the thrift bakery. Um, like that's it it's gluttony for gluttons sake yeah and i know that we have friends who have eaten these things and their defense is that it's fun and i'm sure it is very fun but i also see that like you're ordering four of them because you want to try all the flavors Mm -hmm. but there's also only four of you at the table Mm -hmm. so then you all take little bites of them and then you have like the equivalent of three whole milkshakes left over that is just going to get thrown in the trash. Yeah, I find that and I find that hard to grapple with. Yeah, it makes for me sake, really mad. For the sake of Instagram, really. Yeah, I I actually I stopped going to a lot of um, restaurant events because I would see all these people like they would take or they would either take all the food if it was just there or if it was uh, you know you would order what you wanted or whatever you would order all of the things so you could mm-hmm. try everything you get a picture of everything and they wouldn't eat it they mm-hmm. would take like one bite and that would be it and i was like oh my god that's like, maybe you're gonna take it home but like are you gonna take it home are you right. gonna give it to that home like someone needs to eat, eat right. that food right. it's so wasteful and 
I know Austin especially has a really huge restaurant culture and it's propped up a lot by Instagram bloggers, um, mm-hmm. which I guess, I don't know if Instagram, Instagram meaning and blogging are different. I'm trying sure. not to lump them together, but um, the waste factor is really bothersome to me and the food for food's sake thing is really bothersome to me, mm-hmm. uh, especially when there's so much good underrated stuff out there oh man i that love is, the underrated stuff i yeah. love to find um the kind of divey restaurants the little hole in the wall restaurants like i we were in st louis for the fourth of july this year and sort of accidentally ended up seeking out immigrant owned restaurants um because we ate it the, at one the first night and I was like, you know what? Eating at an immigrant, like it was actually a refugee owned restaurant. Eating at a refugee owned restaurant over the 4th of July is like the most patriotic thing that we could possibly do. And so then mm-hmm. the rest of the time, like sought out these great little immigrant owned restaurants that they're very, a lot of them are small, unassuming spaces and have very, you know, unassuming menus and the food's amazing. And I love that so much. Yeah, when we were in Chicago uh, in June, my family went to, um, I guess it was a Persian restaurant, and it was mm. so yeah. good, and I'm so glad we went there. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, It's not that I'm against, like, food trends. Like, if for those of you who know me, like, I will order Brussels sprouts literally anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is accurate. She will. I know this, like, people really are tired of the Brussels sprout trend, but I have to say, as trends go, if you are getting people to eat this stanky vegetable, like, more power to you. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm super into it. I will order them. I was discussing this with a friend the other day. The other thing I find interesting is I feel like right now we're in a time when people want to really define the food that they're eating or the food that they're making mm-hmm. instead of just making whatever they want to make or eating. like you feel like you have to justify it well or just like put a label on it um I, mm-hmm. and again i see this a lot because you know we're sort of embedded in the restaurant industry um and but i i see i feel it a lot like when people find out that I have a food blog, they want to know, well, what kind of food do you make? Right. I'm like, I'm, food, food. I make the kind of, I make whatever the fuck sounds good to me. <laughs> you know? And, like, I want, I, we've got a friend who's, you know, been toying with the idea of possibly opening their own place and, you know, talking about, like, you want to just be able to make the food, like, have the flexibility to make the food that really inspires you without having to fit into, like, a definition of, like, oh, well, yes, my food is uh, primarily modern American with French influences, and but, like, if I want to make something that's, you know, got Russian influences and have it on the menu next to something that's got Japanese influences, like, cool. I don't know. Like, it sounds good. Like, let's do it. <laughs> um, and I feel like that when people are like, oh, what kind of food is your about? What do you blog about? I blog about whatever the fuck sounds good to me. 
Um, and I get that, you know, especially when it comes to blogging that, you know, people like to have their niches, know where they're going, but also sometimes I just want to eat food that tastes good and I don't care what kind of cuisine it is. I don't care where your influence, what your influences were. I just want it to taste fucking awesome. The end. Absolutely. So I just feel like that's part of... We make things very complicated right now, and so I don't know that it always has to be complicated. Like, we do make it complicated, and I don't know if it's because the market, you know, both both in restaurants and on food blogger food blogs, is so saturated right now. Um, I know I I live in a particularly weird city that spends more money on restaurants per capita than even New York City. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we go out to eat a lot, Austinites do. Um, yeah. But because there, there's so much noise in the restaurant industry, there's so much turnover, you have to like, you have to have a hit right out of the gate mm-hmm. most of the time, otherwise you're going to close. And so they have to have that thing everyone has to have like a crazy hook now to get people in the door because if you don't get that initial like excitement factor that comes from all of those instagrammers and bloggers and tweeters talking about your restaurant like you're not gonna make it unfortunately um and the same thing with blogs i guess like you you know you don't have the same startup level but like if you're as I, as I can attest to, if you're blogging constantly and talking to a void, mm-hmm. it's really disheartening. Yeah. So everybody kind of needs their thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's why I really love some of those hole-in-the-wall restaurants because yeah. like, I can go and I can get just a huge bowl of pho and it is so, like simple there's nothing like complicated about it other than like how complex the flavors of the broth are Mm -hmm. but like the dish in and of itself is very straightforward and it's just it's just really good and there's not so much of this like well yes this is the pho but then we did this to it and then we did this like no i just want some really good pho the end there is a place here that has like what I call fancy pho <laughs> and like I don't even know like what they they have like you know it's got like special ingredients and a yeah. bunch of stuff but I, I'm one of those people that refuses to order it because I'm like uh I can go across the street to my neighborhood place yes. and get an excellent bowl of pho and like not have to deal with all this price, like probably yeah, and also, like, I don't have to deal with all of the people sitting around who are there to be beautiful. Yes. And I can just enjoy a good meal with other people who are there to enjoy a good meal. Yep. Because that's what I, I go that. out to eat for. I, I don't go that. out to eat to be seen. Right. It's like when people It's like when people have Alex and I over for dinner. A lot of times they get really weird about it. Um, yes. Because they're like, oh, well, I am, I'm cooking for... I'm making dinner for a chef and a food blogger. Like, I have to impress you. And I'm like, I don't think you understand that you can feed us frozen pizza and we will be ecstatic because we didn't have to think about it. 
it just appeared in front of us and like we're not coming over to have dinner with you because we want to be wowed by your like culinary prowess we're coming over to have dinner with you because we want to hang out with you and we want to enjoy your company and if that is over some beers and a frozen pizza we're gonna be just as happy as if you fed us like this fancy meal that took you hours to prepare like we're still gonna have a good time with you um and enjoy the company like that's what it's about our friends when they have parties they're pretty much always pollocks because mm-hmm. i mean i love pollocks so it's yeah. totally cool with me but they also are always like well megan's definitely gonna make something amazing and i'm like you guys like sometimes i just want to be like everyone else and buy some cookies at the bakery i'm gonna like, tell you i'm gonna tell y'all a secret right now chefs eat the most garbage of any other group of people that I know, you guys, I have, we have a lot of restaurant friends. They all eat trash. Like I, frozen pizzas, boxed mac and cheese, Taco Bell, you guys, they will eat anything. So don't feel like, (laughs) don't feel like you have to be highfalutin and fancy. Like, we can get no, down with anything. All. If we yeah. didn't have to cook it, we're so happy. Same with food bloggers. Like, we will eat popcorn for dinner multiple nights. Like, if I didn't have kids, I would eat so much junk. Like, totally. I eat a lot of junk food. I grew up eating some... I grew up eating a lot of junk food as it is. But um, any food that I don't have to cook is amazing to me. Yes. I was telling Stevie the other day about how I was eating... God, they're, it's like kind of horrifying to think about what is probably in this food, but it is a breakfast sausage wrapped in a pancake on a stick <laughs> and it was fucking delicious. I'm into it. That sounds amazing. I know. It's so trashy, but I, like, that's the thing. We like eat a lot of trash. Everyone is the same as, as you guys, you guys, like food bloggers and chefs, like we're all trash. Yes. So if you have a friend that is in the food industry in any way, shape or form, they're just happy that you're serving them a meal that they didn't have to cook and think about. So do not be intimidated by it. Just enjoy your time. Like enjoy our company. That's just really what we're there for. So... That is and give us alcohol. And give us alcohol. (laughs) Give us alcohol. Put a drink in our hands. Feed us something we didn't have to make. The end. I know people are always people always ask me, like, oh, well, does your husband cook dinner every night? And my response to that is always, Well, do you want to do your job when you come home from work? (laughs) And they go and they go, Oh, well, no. And I'm like, no he does like he he definitely helps with dinner like but I cook dinner most of the night most weeknights and then on the nights when on his days off then yeah that's when he gets in the kitchen and he does a little bit more experimenting just for funsies but you know we're we keep it simple around here during the week because I've just finished working a full day and he's finished working on his feet in the kitchen a full day and we're like we don't care. Yep. yep. That situation always makes me think of a really old Friends episode. Um, I don't know how familiar you are, Steffi, if you watched it as mm-hmm. much as people my age did. 
but <laughs> there's a very early episode where um, I believe uh, they're all at the hospital. I think maybe waiting for Ross's ex-wife to give birth, possibly. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> Rachel and Monica are hitting on these doctors. Yes. And Rachel is asking one of the doctors about like if he dates a lot and... He's basically like, um, and he's a, like a gynecologist. Yes, I like, remember this. He's like, oh, well, you know, when you get home from working at the coffee shop, do you want to like look at another pot of coffee? <laughs> I remember that. It's like, <laughs> yep, that's exactly it. It makes me think of it every time when I yes. think about like, oh, I've been th- thinking and working in food all day. All do I want to cook dinner? Long. No, I do not. That's so funny. I love it. <laughs> Well, we all know by now that a really solid snack brings us probably more joy than it should. Uh, So I think it's time that we talk about what else is bringing us joy this week. Megan. So right now I am all about lady podcasters. Yes. So obviously we are lady podcasters. But I have been discovering new podcasts that are hosted by women. We have some old friends that have podcasts. And I just think it is super awesome because, you know, women uh, make up more than 50% of the population of the world. And yet our voices still are in the minority And so one of the reasons I really like podcasts is because I feel like we get more of an opportunity to say our words, Mm -hmm. to talk about what we want to talk about, reach audiences across the world. Um, You know, our podcast is mostly frivolous, but there are a lot of really good podcasts out there that deal with very important topics um, from, you know diversity to adoption issues to immigration issues basically across the entire spectrum of all of the issues that are happening in the world today and also fun stuff yes but i am just super into all of them right now because they're all so great to listen to it makes me i don't know it just makes me feel like pumped up when i listen to them and it also feels a little bit like I have some new friends, I guess. Yeah. Like I know some people think that way about podcasts in general, but I just haven't had not really found any previously because I was listening to like, you know, the nerdy ones like yeah. This American Life and yes. like all the all the super nerdy like serial crime ones and stuff like that. But now that I'm listening to ones that are more similar to this one, mm-hmm. I just feel like super empowered. Love it. And we'll actually, we'll go ahead and we'll link to some of our favorite lady podcasts in the show notes um, so that you guys can check out some of who we're listening to. But we'd also really love to hear what lady podcasters you guys love right now. So make sure you let us know. I want to give a really quick mention of the Forever 35 podcast. Mm -hmm. They do talk a lot about skincare. Uh, which, as you know, is great for us. Mm -hmm. But they also have on some really great guests every once in a while. And the one I was listening to recently was actually an older episode from, I think, maybe the end of August. And they had a therapist on 
to talk about like how do you find a therapist how do you break up with a therapist like all the self-care kind of questions and she made that mention of like if you're not taking care of yourself you have absolutely no energy to take care of other people and I I hear that a lot but I was also just like man this really hits home for me right now yeah and I want to make sure that everyone hears that advice so we talked about it in our anxiety episode but if you're not taking care of yourself you can't take care of other things so take care of yourself first amen Steffi what is bringing you joy uh my the friends that I've made through Instagram are bringing me joy I hey you know I apparently your husband I did not know that (laughs) man you know Instagram's just been really good for me um But so when my husband and I started the adoption process, um, I didn't know a whole lot. And so I have learned a lot from people that I've discovered on Instagram. And interestingly, a lot of those people have been birth mamas that I have become friends with. And I haven't been able to meet any of them in real life yet, although I'm hoping that will change soon. Um but I consider them to be true friends, and we talk about so much more than just, like, adoption stuff. Um, and it's just a really great little community and support system that I have found through this funny little app. So I feel like social media, there's a lot of not-so-great things that come from it, but there's a lot of really awesome things that come from it, too, and I am just really loving my friends that I have found through that funny little social network. So that's what's bringing me joy right now. That's so awesome. I wonder if there is, like, a meetup or some sort of like adoption conference there definitely are some um and there is a um there's an account called kindred and co um and it's run by an adoptive mama um but she works really hard to make it a community for all sides of the adoption triad so uh, adoptive parents birth parents and the adoptees And she actually is hosting retreats that are for all sides of the triad. Because there's a lot of conferences, but some of them are very, like, adoptive parent-specific or adoptee-specific or birth mom-specific. And she's trying to start hosting these events periodically that are for all sides of the triad to get together and learn from each other and spend time together and have fun together. So... It's, I would really love to go to one of her events um, sometime in the future because they look hella fun and I think it's so important that all sides of the triad really learn from each other and build each other up and listen to each other. So that I think it's going to have to be on my, uh, on my to-do list someday soon. Yeah, I love the way that social media tools are able to bring all of these different communities together so people can find their people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't feel quite so, uh, not not as isolated as I think we, that we might have at one point. I know that there was a point in time where I 
felt very, very isolated in terms of like dealing with infertility. And when I started to really open up about it on social media, um, I discovered a whole community of people that had been through the same thing or going through similar things. And some people in my, in my like real life that I just didn't know were also dealing with this stuff too. And, um, it's brought some really, really wonderful people into my life. So you know what people can bag on social media all they want, but it can also do some really great things. Thanks social media. Thanks you. Uh, so next week we are going to be gearing up for Thanksgiving by discussing some holiday traditions. I thought you were going to say by loosening our pants. Well, that too. We are going to put on our stretchy pants and we're going to discuss holiday traditions. Excellent. So join us back here next week as we share why we think traditions are important and talk about some of our own. Until then, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us there or on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at IRSI Podcast, or send us an email at I'd rather stay in podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. Bye.